Teams are regularly tasked with solving problems or executing big ideas, but if we jump from concept to execution, we run the risk of making bad decisions, wasting resources, hitting road bumps, and ultimately not achieving what it is we set out to. But if we spend more time upstream, getting clarity and alignment that we often need, we put our team in the best possible position for success. A warm welcome to Sheena and Melissa A to the Modern Manager community. Today's guest is Atif Rafiq. Atif has blazed trails in Silicon Valley and the Fortune 500 for over 25 years. After rising through digital native companies like Amazon and Yahoo, Atif held C-suite roles at McDonald's, Volvo, and MGM Resorts. He rose to the president level in the Fortune 500 and has worked with thousands of employees as a global P&L transformation and innovation leader. Atif and I talk about his methods for upstream work, which he calls decision sprints, that help teams and organizations prepare for effective execution. He explains the difference between upstream and downstream activities, the three phases of upstream work, and so much more. Plus, in the extended interview available to members, Atif explains how to integrate decision sprint workflows into your team or organization, no matter what your role or what your current practices are. Now here's the conversation. Are you a manager, boss, or team leader who aspires to level up and unleash your team's full potential? You're listening to the Modern Manager Podcast, and I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Each week, I explore effective strategies and provide actionable insights that supercharge your management abilities, optimize team performance, and foster a healthy workplace culture. Become a rockstar manager and help your team thrive at themodernmanager.com slash more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Atif. I'm super psyched to dive in to this concept of the decision sprint, which I've been learning about through your book and how it can really help teams make better decisions. Not only that, but actually do better work. And my favorite thing, have fewer meetings. (laughs) So thank you for joining me today. You're so welcome. It's a pleasure to join you, Maddie. Let's start with just the like lay of the land here. Can you describe at kind of a high level or just kind of like laying out the framework of what is decision decision sprint all about? When it comes to making uh, rapid decision-making, high-quality decisions, what's really interesting is that it's less about the decision point and more about what I call upstream work. So in this book, I elaborate on the idea of upstream work, which is the point at which you have the raw idea or the raw objective. And you, you see, it seems very promising there's a lot more questions than answers. And the the process of going from a lot more questions than answers to confident decision-making is kind of a body of work that I point to be what I call the upstream part of the process. And that's really what I elaborate on. So kind of counterintuitively, if you want to be uh, promote high quality and high velocity decision-making in your organization or team, the tables are set further upstream. And that's really what is the heart of uh, what my book is all about. Yeah, I loved the the kind of realization that we kind of start with ideas and then we kind of make them happen. And there's actually like a lot that has to happen between an idea or a problem is identified to executing the plan and unpacking what those steps are and what those processes are and actually putting some structure to them makes a lot of sense because it's often, as you pointed out, very articulately, so many places where we kind of stumble through and make end up having bad decisions or get stuck or kind of bulldoze over things and then end up having poor execution and poor results. So maybe we can unpack, you can unpack for us some of those 
kind of things that we're doing wrong that we, you know, maybe have just habitually been doing or we kind of don't even realize are, are so wrong. But what are the places we're kind of already messing up so we can then talk about what we can do better in each of those places? You know, of course, I talk about very concrete things like how you define the problem or a problem statement, how you begin to gather input from the team around the questions that should be explored around the problem statement, how you develop the answers, and then use all that work to kind of come up with some conclusions or recommendations. And, you know, so it's it's kind of like a workflow in some respects, where if you go in this certain sequence and do a good job of it, in terms of collaborating, you know, you're likely to be more confident, more aligned in what you come out with as a set of recommendations. But if you take a step back, in the end, it's actually really about psychological safety and doing it in a in a way where you can still get business your business objectives met and move at the right pace. So for example, you know, everyone can is familiar with the idea of having a promising idea or, you know, really interesting, meaningful objective that they want to solve in the organization where things break down. The first pitfall is a rush to an opinion or a rush to alignment without having done what I call exploration. And exploration is sort of the first step of creating, you know, psychological safety. So an exploration is essentially saying, okay, well, we don't know the answer. We, we haven't drawn any conclusions yet, but we're going to spend, you know, a reasonable amount of time coming up with the problem statement. So everyone knows what, you know, what we're trying to, the forks on the road that we're trying to cross and then getting the right input from within our team or organization to, in the form of questions. And then getting to the bottom of these questions with some reasonable answers. That's what I call building and running an exploration. It is a way to create psychological safety so you get high quality input from the brains you have in your organization, but also keep things on a pace and a track where you can actually, you know, come out with, you know, some perspective in a, in a reasonable time frame, which you need as businesses. You need to keep up your pace and, and velocity, if that makes sense. So, the first step is building and running and exploration. That's really the heart of being good at upstream work. And it's something that just is so easy to shortchange because in the human dynamics, you know, if you're very experienced, you're going to have an opinion right away or based on, you know, other things you've seen, you're going to maybe rush to, uh, rush to you know, some judgment, right? And so creating the psychological safety in the right way is really what I'm advocating. And I think that's a big unlock for any leader in almost any context. I'm thinking about a meeting that I was in a number of years ago where there was an opportunity presented to the nonprofit organization and they brought it to the board and said, should we do this? And the first question I had was like, well, what are we trying to accomplish? Like, what? let's take a step back before we should decide if this is a good opportunity or not. Like, let's understand what what we want to do. What are we, what's our mission here? Like, how does this fit in? Like, why, why would we even consider this in the first place? Just because it showed up on our desk doesn't mean we have to consider it. And I feel like that's kind of the exploration is like the pulling back before you get to the like ideas and solutions and opinions. It's like the, the like, let's understand what the situation is. Let's seek data. And I think what you're saying about psychological safety is that if we go in being curious, if we're starting from a place of we don't have all the answers, there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of things we have to gather, then we're all kind of starting on the same ground of not being, not having opinions, not having solutions, not having answers. So it's safer to 
ask those questions. It's safer to surface the the thinking. Is is that am I putting those together correctly? You touched on questions. So let's talk about the role of questions in the process of innovating and being strategic and you know growing as a as an organization. What is the role of questions? Well, questions can be a friend or a foe. Uh, they're your friend if they if they if the right questions surface upstream. You know, that's the point at which there is not a solution. And to your point, it's the it's the stage at which you have sort of like this big ambiguous question: Is this a good idea, or what is the right way to go about solving this problem we're having? And that's where you want to invite questions. So if you do a good job of getting the input from the brain of the organization around the right questions, and then spend time getting to the bottom of them, everyone will be working from you know high quality basis to then you know have opinions, right? Draw conclusions, come up with recommendations. Now, friends are a foe when the plan is very baked and everyone feels like, hey, we did all that already. And then you go to, let's say, some uh, sponsor meeting or committee meeting um, or some decision meeting, and then the questions come up. They were missed. They were blind spots. They begin to unravel the progress. The confident, confidence in the you know whatever is being put on the table is not going to be high. And, and that's where things get bureaucratic or stuck or go back to square one. And that's not good for teams. It's not good for the employee experience, right? It's why people get frustrated with their organization. So there is a, a stage where if you actually want to invite questions, you actually want to source them is the language I use. And so in, in this book, while I, I talk about big companies like Amazon, McDonald's, Volvo, MGM Resorts, and real things we were trying to figure out and areas we were trying to innovate. And the heart of the book in the middle is really kind of nuts and bolts workflow of like, what is the stage where you source questions and how do you do that effectively so that you actually have a great question list and a problem statement uh, early on in, in the stage of an initiative. I'm wondering if you could actually share a story of one of the projects or teams that you worked with and, and what that exploration stage looked like and kind of who participates and kind of how did that kind of what was surfaced that became super valuable as you went forward? Sure. Well, all companies, you know, are facing some some interesting ideas, some promising idea or objective, right? Could be Netflix and the CEO says, hey, password sharing is an issue or Uber. And they say, hey, how, how should we think about loyalty, for example? Um, but to take a hypothetical, you know, I worked at McDonald's and that was driving a lot of innovation and growth there as uh, in the C-suite. Um, and let's say, you know, a contemporary example would be McDonald's and, and a coffee subscription. Like you, you do go to certain QSRs or restaurants and, you know, you can pay them a monthly fee and, and then you can get unlimited, you know, drinks or coffees and things like that. Is that a good idea for McDonald's? How would you think about that? So instead of, you know, having that idea and debating like this is terrible or this is amazing, right? Like you actually need to spend time building the exploration and this exploration, you, you probably need questions uh, regarding things like how much of a business driver it is, like the incrementality, does it create more visits where people also buy food operationally? Is it like really hard to pull off because you're in a drive-through and you're trying to share with a crew member that, oh, I, I have a subscription. There are probably some technology modifications that need to be done so your systems can uh, process that. Uh, you know, there's maybe some risk of abuse because if you give it 
anyone anything unlimited. Maybe small numbers of them actually abuse it, the privilege. So these are some of the major kind of things going on, ping, ping, ping in, in your mind around the room when the, you first hear about the idea. And the reality is that they're all very relevant considerations and they themselves break down into some key, some key questions. So instead of being fearful of those questions or trying to say, well, there's too many questions, let's kill this idea. Let's actually build the right question list and spend some time getting to the bottom of them because then we'll actually be standing on higher quality ground to draw some conclusions. It could be the modifications are not that hard or the incrementality to the business could be quite promising and that the risk of abuse is low, right? In those cases, this is a winning idea, right? And we should, we should accelerate. We should really go for it. The challenge for many organizations is how do you go from the promise of an idea to confident execution? And that's the space in the middle where the upstream work is really essential. Teams spend weeks and months on it in reality. And I want to bring some method for that. And um, of course, some companies are good at this. You know, I worked at Amazon, but Amazon is good because it has a founder-led culture. It's in the air. They don't teach you or document problem solving and curiosity. It's in the air, you know, it's in the culture. And in the absence of a founder-led culture where that's been established, you need a system. And that's why I write about this kind of system. I love that. I mean, so many organizations rely on systems. And even after a founder leaves, there's no guarantee the culture will stay. It needs to be maintained. And sometimes putting systems in creates that longevity that um, that teams really need. Let's keep moving because we talked about exploration and creating safe space for people to identify the questions and the lack of information and where there's ambiguity and where we need more information. And then you're saying teams can go off and do some of that work to try to figure out and gather as much information, as many answers as we need to be able to move forward. What's the next phase of that upstream work? Hey there, Mamie here. Just a quick and exciting update for all of you who are enjoying the Modern Manager podcast. The Modern Manager membership community is getting a minor makeover, and it is now called the Podcast Plus Membership. And you can sign up for it and join a community of managers determined to do better every day. You'll get full access to our Slack channel, sketch notes with key takeaways from each episode, all types of guest bonuses, and the members-only podcast, which is ad-free and has extended interviews. So you get to hear the answers to my juiciest questions without interruptions like this one. Sign up today for $15 per month at themodernmanager.com slash more. Can't wait to see you there. A common word in a lot of companies is alignment, which is essentially shared understanding. People need to have a shared understanding in order to move forward. It's not one a single part of the organization that's going to make something happen. So I'm a, I'm a believer in alignment. I wasn't always a believer in alignment, and I can, I can give you the backstory on that. But uh, <laughs> alignment uh, does matter because in the end, uh, people need to understand you need to have the hearts and minds behind an idea when it comes time for execution. And so the, after exploration, alignment is sort of the process of drawing conclusions and have, having people understand how we got there because it's not good enough. And I hope no one is in a company where it's like, oh, the boss said to do this. So that's why we're doing this. That's not really <laughs> ideal. It's more, we're doing this and here are the reasons that it makes sense to me. That is important. Now, some ideas are like, you know, they're complex, right? So 
alignment is the stage where if you do a good job of exploration, then people are coming to the same conclusions. Not only, oh, this is a good idea, but conclusions are very layered. It's a good idea within these boundaries. You know, the risk of this is low. This, the risk of this is kind of higher. So it's a very kind of layered cake of, of conclusions. And if people have a common understanding of those things, then your execution is just going to be stronger. People will understand things. They'll have fewer questions. They'll be more confident in the contribution they're making to execution. So alignment is the stage of drawing conclusions and creating shared, shared understanding of the necessary actions. Um, and that's really important. The backstory on why I didn't like the word alignment to actually banned it uh, at Volvo was because in my previous experience, alignment was a word that was being misused to actually um, shut down ideas. So instead of having exploration and allowing exploration, it was immediate alignment to say, hey, this won't work or uh, let's kick the can down the road. And so I never want to align. Uh, I have a phrase, you know, exploration before alignment. Then I love alignment, you know, if we allow exploration. But if we kill exploration, then I'm not for I love that these things have to go hand in hand, that you have to you have to have something to align around. And it, and if you don't do the exploration, then yeah, the alignment can be, be misused. I'm wondering about the process of alignment. Is this like get us all into a meeting and make a case and then we all, you know, agree or disagree? Because I know you, with the process, there's there's multiple pieces to this. So can you talk us through, especially the meeting part, because I love meetings, <laughs> and kind of what do those meetings look like when you're we're trying to come to alignment? They can be as simple as um, like the input is uh, an FAQ, like here are the key questions and here are the answers. And, you know, at, at a place like Amazon, of course, you know, you don't even give the FAQs out before the meeting happens. You know, people show up. Uh, the first 15 minutes are reading the FAQs, then there's open discussion around, hey, well, what would, what conclusions would we draw from this? And there's some dialogue around that. And I'm actually a believer in AI-driven software, and so I'll touch on that because I think Amazon is, you know, a great example, but it's kind of like great up till 2023. But we're in an AI era, so I think even Amazon's approach with people look up to will look like a dinosaur, you know, within three years. Uh, so I'll touch on that in a second, but the process of getting alignment, yeah, is to have everybody be working from the same information. Here's the problem statement. Here's the FAQs. Now let's have a discussion. What conclusions would we draw and to draw not only like one conclusion, oh, this is a good idea. Oh yes, we have buy it, but layered conclusions of like, this is a good idea within these parameters. This is the thing to watch out for. This is the thing to really accelerate, right? Probably as simple as that. And if you have some conclusions or recommendations that seem to to have that uh, common understanding to say, well, what are the necessary actions? Because that's actually what helps you build your execution plan. And that is, I think, what, what, what you're trying to do. Now, in terms of how you do this, the reality in my view is that we do too much in meetings and we can actually do much more asynchronously uh, with software. And so part of what I'm working on now with my new company ritual helps with that. But independent of that, Mammy, it's basically, can you imagine a situation where, you know, people have the same FAQs and independently, they basically look at them and use software to say, here are the conclusions I'm drawing. And everybody does that independently. 
then you take the list of all the conclusions that were drawn and basically create a heat map around where where is it like super aligned or less aligned and then you meet based not on what you already agree on because that doesn't need any time but the things that you don't agree on that's a way to basically run a process where you're more efficient and you have fewer blind spots i love this idea of asking people to look at the same data set and say, what conclusions are you drawing? And then compile those to see where are we aligned and where are we not? And then diving into the places where there's different interpretations and trying to figure out kind of how do we get to some some shared alignment on what this means or do we need more research on it? I'm, I'm thinking about a team I worked with a number of years ago that runs a grocery store and they were trying to decide, they were in a big discussion about um, Earth Day, which happened to be also be Easter that year. And they were part of the team that interpreted the situation as being, we're gonna have so many more shoppers because people are gonna be like coming in to get ready for Easter. And a, another set of people who were like, no one's gonna show up because it's Easter. And so no one's gonna be coming to the grocery store for Earth Day. And they were coming from two different places and, and didn't have any data to make those conclusions on. It was purely opinions. And so they decided to start asking customers at checkout about their Easter plans and to try to ga gather data to then come back together and say, what, what do we think we're going to do here? So I, I just, I think it's such a fun approach to, to have people look at that data and bring it together and such a more effective meeting a more efficient meeting when you know what you actually need to talk about and doesn't have to be everything on the table. Is there, <laughs> is there a third part um, to this process or are we going from um, exploration to alignment to execution? Yes, there is a third part, which is decision-making. And um, I'm a big believer in non-decision, decision meetings, meaning <laughs> like it, the decisions are obvious. And so if we do the first two stages uh, that we spoke about, which are building and running explorations, so exploration and that alignment, then of course we need to have, you know, meetings where we approve things, decision meetings, that kind of thing. But they tend to be a much lighter lift, which is, you know, the best type of meetings there are one where people say, well, why are we even meeting? It's pretty obvious we all agree. And those are great meetings. They do happen. They're like a unicorn. But when you do the first two phases well, you know, the chances that they happen are much higher. And these decision meetings are essentially uh, reviewing the necessary actions and basically getting the people who are able to unlock those actions around the table so that they know what they need to go do. And they might move resources around or communicate something or just modify their plan in some way. So that's a huge accelerator because, you know, what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to promote speed here, really, because there's one thing to say, hey, we believe in it, it's a good idea, and then it's it's like crickets for two weeks and no one actually did anything to uh, begin to, you know, action it. And so my take is basically if we if we agree and we have confident, we're confident about the recommendations on the table, well, let's go into action mode and begin to unlock those things. So a good decision meeting is actually less about the thing you think you're deciding but uh, the second order things that need to be modified in order to make the thing you agreed to uh, possible. So someone might say, well, yeah, we're on board. We'll find, you know, headcount. Well, now let's use this meeting. Let's find that headcount now. So it's not about if we will allocate the headcount. It's what else we're going to maybe stop doing in order to make 
this possible. And so those things are really accelerators for execution. So good decision meetings are actually now defining the necessary actions and then greasing the wheels for the execution. All right. I'm noticing that we are going to run out of time here. So I want to make sure to talk about how to do this at, at a team level. So a lot of people listening are not the founders of their businesses and, and senior management, right? We have they, they might be, but if you're just, you know, just, if you are a manager inside of an organization and you're like, yes, this is like the, this is what we've been missing. We get, you know, an idea from wherever, and then we're told to like figure out how to make it happen. And like, we want to bring this kind of process in so that we can be making better decisions. We can have better ideas. We can be moving forward more seamlessly and more quickly. Where do you suggest people start? How do, how do we kind of get our team on board and get our, our other leaders and other partners on board and other stakeholders so that we can use a more process-oriented approach to, to our work? I think it's really just a couple of things. The first is that once you have the idea or the objective, um, you know, you work backwards from a milestone. So let's say there's a sponsor or someone on a higher level, you need to interact with them. Say, here's how we're thinking about it. Here's where we are on the thing. Well, when is that? Is that a month from now? Okay, great. Well, then what you need to do is um, assemble the working team and then have that teams like really begin by clarifying and building a problem statement and spending a period of time sourcing input from the, this working team around the key questions that need to be addressed as part of the exploration work. So a problem statement with a question list, that is great progress. Now take that to the sponsor perhaps for a quick calibration. Hey, anything we're missing? Hey, does this look on track? Okay, great. That's the first step in building confidence with within with your sponsor so they actually give you the psychological safety and continue to give it to you. Then of course, now you're running this exploration, which is a little bit of the detective work where the team looks into the key questions, tries to get to the bottom of them. Sometimes those answers are just, um, you know, reasonable sort of uh, reasoning through, you know, questions and trying to produce kind of common sense answers. Sometimes, in, like in the case of the grocery example you mentioned, you need to ask someone to go fetch data or build a test to get data, and that's fine too. It's kind of a mix between common sense and, and developing a way to collect the data and then you, you basically assemble it. It could be a three-pager, like a narrative that we do a lot of at Amazon or an FAQ document. Now you take it to the sponsor and say, hey, read this. <laughs> and based on this, here's the, the, the high-level recommendations. Here's, here's how we're thinking about the direction of this thing. Does it sound right? It's really working backwards and getting those things on in, a, in a good way. So how do you do those things? Well, I'm a big proponent of software. And so I think software workflows will really help you, um, which is why, you know, I started the company Ritual, which I'm happy to share more about, but software kind of is a living system for this thing. You don't need software, but it makes life easier. You could also just sort of build a process and have a good, for example, program manager to keep everybody on track. I wish we could go into like all the things around software and I, but we are running out of time. So Atif, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this manager such a fabulous boss? Sure. I, I'll give a shout out to the uh, CEO of Volvo. He just uh, transitioned from the CEO role after 10 years, Hakan Samuelson, um, who was my boss and a very good mentor. And what made Hakan special is Phil does this and his, his current corporate work 
is his focus and obsession with the inputs. So he was not the type of CEO who wants to know how many cars did we sell yesterday, although that's important, right? Because the board is measuring him and the company on that. But he understood that the upstream really matters. So if you want to sell a lot of cars, you have to start thinking about, you know, the things that will affect how many cars you sell, you know, six months from now and 18 months from now. And those things are much more in the upstream stage. So he was willing to be a thought partner and, you know, kind of the, in helping shape the, the factors and the drivers of things that will affect, you know, kind of the medium and long-term performance of the company and not just wait for those things to be in execution where now you're saying, oh, can't you do a little better? He realized that pre-execution is where you need to spend more of your time as a CEO, uh, shaping things. And to so for someone to be, you know, very generous with their time, being a thought partner helps you avoid blind spots or really tighten up how you're thinking about cracking the code on some new growth thing is, uh, is I think, the be- better use of time for CEOs in terms of being number one on their list than just sort of day-to-day performance. And so I give him that shout out and to see a global CEO with that approach is really, really encouraging. And where can people get a copy of your book, Decision Sprint, and keep up with your work and learn more about what you do? Sure. So decisionsprint.com is my website and my book is available for retailers uh, from the website. As I mentioned, I co-founded and I run a company called Ritual which is an AI-driven problem-solving product. Um, it's a SaaS product. Any team can download it. You know, it's it's just a small monthly cost per user. And this is a product that helps you build and run explorations. So if you have an idea or an objective, you can actually kind of involve some collaborators and quickly and efficiently and smartly get to things like an FAQ or a narrative or a document you can take to a meeting to show your work on the upstream side. So ritual.work uh, is is the uh, website for that. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on and chatting with me and talking us through the phases and the parts of the decision sprint model and how we can do better upstream work. You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure. Members of Podcast Plus and the Skills Accelerator get an executive summary ebook version of Decision Sprint. This 37-page PDF provides the big idea from each chapter for free. And Atif is also giving members a 50% discount on his Decision Sprint workshops. These are one to two day workshops, virtual or in person, where your team or organization will get to experience the Decision Sprint workflows directly, enabling you to accomplish work together during the training, as well as prepare to integrate the method going forward. And don't forget, members get the extended interview where Atif explains how to bring Decision Sprint workflows into your team or organization, no matter what your role or what your current practices are. The Skills Accelerator is off to a great start, and next month in February, we are focusing on decision-making. We'll explore strategies and approaches for individual and team decision-making during our live workshop. Plus, you can attend office hours, an accountability call, and get a ton of additional resources to help you and your team develop better decision-making skills. Become a member of the Skills Accelerator at themodernmanager.com slash skillsaccelerator. To get the extended interview, this guest bonus, and many more, become a member at themodernmanager.com slash more. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.